0: So in a world where we are obsessed with understanding the process behind something, with going behind the scenes and seeing the stuff behind the stuff, around the stuff, next to the stuff, adjacent to the stuff, as much as we value the stuff, in that world, you got to know that the book called Stories Behind the Images, when it's by... Uh, a dear friend and one of the top action sports photographers of our time, named Corey Rich. You got to know that when he comes up with a book like that, that it's going to be worth your time and attention. And in this episode, that's right, we have Mr. Corey Rich on the show today. Longtime friend, we came up together in action sports photography over the past um, couple of decades, I'll say. Um, and in this episode, we uncover the process of writing the book. And more importantly, uh, Corey's process for life, for photography, for creativity, and for making the living and the life that he has today, which is one he has, in his own words, designed. It's not something that just happened. Uh, He tells a great story at the beginning of our conversation about living out of his car for the first six months of his photography career to figure it all out. And there's so much embedded in that story beyond just living in your car and just figuring it out. It's a story about life and about chasing things that we know we're supposed to be doing in our heart. In this episode, um, not only do we cover stuff like that, but we go deep into sacrifice. I think we all think that the things that happen in the lives of others, they just happen. But we know in this episode and from others, this is a question I'm, I'm pressing a lot more of my guests for these days, is like, what's the sacrifice? What did you sacrifice in order to get to where you are today? And The myriad of answers are uh, are really interesting, and Corey's especially. It's really fascinating to hear what he has missed out on his life in order to pursue this dream. And it might not be what you think it is, so I can't wait for you to listen. It's just a fantastic episode. Longtime friend. As I said, 15, 20 years. We talk about a studio visit. He he paid me a visit to my studio 20 years ago, Uh, 20 years ago, I think this last fall. Uh, Funny (laughs) funny tale there as well But I've already almost spoiled it So I'm going to get out of the way But before we do, just a quick word from our sponsor Hey, before we get into today's episode i got a favor to ask I've got a new book out It's called Creative Calling And of course I would love for you to pick up a copy or two or ten But here's why This is not about a transaction Of course I want to sell as many books as I can But this isn't about my bank account or the publisher This is about a message and a movement This is about the fact that there's creativity inside of every person. And that if we understand that we each can harness this creativity and use it to channel uh, our, our creativity, not just to make things on a daily basis. Yes, that's valuable. But to be able to create the living life that we want for ourselves and ideally for those around us. And right now, everyone has someone in their life who either doesn't identify as a creator or for whom... They could use a bump, a nudge, a little bit of a push around their creative calling in life. And it's my hope that this book, I put everything I have into this book, everything. And if you could help me be the messenger for this by delivering them a copy of the book, um, picking up a copy uh, yourself, and of course, sharing that you are reading this book um, with your audience, that would mean everything to me. It's so important that we rally as a community around the ideas that we believe in. And this is my ask to you. So thank you very much. And now, okay, now let's get into today's episode. Thanks, Chase. All the way from Tahoe this morning. Thank you for
1: coming. My pleasure. My pleasure. It's, uh, I love, I love talking. I love telling (laughs) stories. I love hearing stories. And, and that was really the spirit of this book. And I, um, yeah, any opportunity to to talk about the book, which really means kind of paying it forward with stories and Story, lessons. Yeah, I'm, stories
0: I'm and lessons, and 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 you know, having consumed it, um, there are so many stories that tug on my heartstrings. As a lifelong photographer, we you know we've come up at similar times, a so really similar trajectory, um, but it's also so widely applicable. It's these are lessons about life, not just adventure sports photography. Um, and so, A, congratulations. Thank you. B, on your, on your comment about love talking and starting stories, we, we already had a one-hour conversation on the couch before we even started rolling. We're like, we've got to stop talking and start the cameras rolling. So we're happy to, happy to be actually live in front of the cameras now. Are we doing an Instagram thing too? What's up, Instagram? Um, if Maybe at some point we'll even interrupt. If there are some questions, we will let you chime into the episode. But without further ado, Hey, welcome to Seattle, thanks for coming up.
1: Yeah, I, I, you know, it's the first time I've flown up to, to Seattle Chase where it's actually overcast. Because, and I, I <laughs> almost sent out a group text to all of my Seattle buddies that mm-hmm. always claim it's blue skies every day. Because it kind of, it finally
0: validated that, okay, occasionally it is overcast and raining. As the, right, uh, it's the flip <laughs> of what everybody else thinks it is. And so we we have the control over that as a little switch that I knew mean, yeah, coming I know, in know. today I and I don't wanna make it too sweet but uh, it occasionally is cloudy in Seattle, this is true. Uh, I, do, I do remember, Chase, and it might be, I don't,
1: I don't know, if I have no sense of time. It could have been 20 years ago, it could have been 25 years ago, but coming up to Seattle. Wait, I'm more than 25 years old? Well, let's see, if you're 26. <laughs> it's true, but 20, I, 29 I, actually, I, perpetually 29. You know, it's something that happened in putting this book together is I realized I just refer- I have no sense of time and everything was a few years ago. That's how I would reference it, it was a few years ago. But I, walking into this building and as we sat on that couch, it reminded me, I came to Seattle and I remember it was a sunny day, it was like beautiful blue skies and I was staying at a buddy's house on a lake, I don't remember what the lake is called, and everyone was outside, like tanning in the park <laughs> with tinfoil around. Yes, them. yes, literally. <laughs> and everyone was pale, but they were laying there, just getting burned in the sun. Sounds like and, <laughs> Seattle in the <this> summer. <laughs> and then I we walked into your office. You had a tiny office on this lake, or just off the lake. And I walked into the back, and you had your feet up on the table. And I don't maybe we knew each other's names, but I remember you had a like a glowing, humming Red Bull. Uh, cooler in the back like refrigerator, refrigerator yeah. stocked full of red bull and i just remember in my head thinking oh this guy has got it going on like <laughs> this a red guy bull he, fridge he sealed is, it he is destined for success <laughs> if he has a fully stocked
0: red bull refrigerator in his office it might help to orient like what year do you think that was can you try <sighs> um cuz i remember mm- when i got that red bull fridge and it was
1: i mean when were you in that office that was tw- i bet it was 20 years ago i'm 44
0: now okay it was certainly before. It was right around the year two thousand. Okay, okay, so yeah, eighteen-ish mm-hmm. years.
1: That that makes sense.
0: It could it, it could have been. Uh, no, that would have been it. somewhere between ninety eight and two thousand, and the middle of two thousand was when that was. Okay,
1: so you're better with
0: time than I am. Only yet. because I have like I know when uh, that fridge was. Uh, a piece of furniture, because it didn't have a lot of other furniture, (laughs) Um, and a funny backstory about that is the person who, uh, I was the first US photographer to contribute to the Red Bull Photo Files, and that happened at Tahoe. I met the Red Bull, guy named Ulrich Grill. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. um, Who started the Red Bull Photo Files. There was no media around Red Bull, it was just a beverage that they had licensed from Thailand, and so in that fridge, what you didn't know is, in addition to these new Cans of Red Bull that started in the in the late '90s. There was also a couple bottles of the syrupy Thai, oh yes, the original formula. Um, and not to to date ourselves, but I remember uh, they they was there was a person there was literally a white van. I knew Red Bull had called me and said that we'd like to you know we're trying to seed this product basically. We'd like to put a fridge in your and I was like okay cool. And once a week there was a white van. That showed up. up. I love it. And just some guy came in with a pallet full of Red Bull and filled the thing up and disappeared. I love it. it It's bizarre. Okay, but we're gonna go back to that time because that was a time where you were just figuring it out. I was just figuring it out. And this was action sports before really had uh, any media stories being told about it. Tell us way back how you got your start. Yeah,
1: I mean that that was a really special moment you know, kind of in the late night, mid to late nineties, I was a kid in college. I um, I had fallen in love with rock climbing. I fell in love with photography, kind of in the span of seven days, first rock climbing, then photography. I realized my photos were awful. And these two parallel pursuits were born. And I, I honed the craft. I started working in the newspaper world. And you know, really was learning the craft of storytelling, kind of t- I went down this traditional photojournalism path. But in every free moment, I was out rock climbing and having adventures. And finally, I kind of, it got to this breaking point where I realized, wait a second, I'm taking pictures of stuff that, that this isn't why I fell in love with photography. I was, you know, shooting pictures of the mayor and, you mm-hmm. know, football games and baseball games. And eventually sat down with my boss at the newspaper and I said, can you help me devise a plan? Give me some guidance how do I actually photograph the things that I care most about, which is the outdoor adventure world, climbing in particular. And he hired me, he helped me devise a plan and he hired me for another six months and I saved up $3,000 and I went home and I convinced my father that I should take six months off from college. And my dad was an educator, but that day he drafted a contract on a napkin that stated clearly I would return to college after those six months on the road. And, uh, and I had a Honda Civic and I took out all the seats except the driver's seat, cut out a piece of plywood. And you know, that's the advantage to being a shorter guy. You can sleep in your Honda Civic. And I was just a dirtbag. I drove around the United States for six months photographing rock climbing. Every day I would pull into a campground and introduce myself and ask if I could hang out and shoot pictures. And um, I came back from that first six months on the road and edited my pictures down to sort of the best action climbing photographs and the best lifestyle and shipped them off to Climbing Magazine and Patagonia, respectively. And much to my surprise, the next day the phone rang. And I was literally overnight, I was in business, like the phone rang and they started licensing pictures. And, you know, I got the first validation that know, what I was doing out there, kind of applying the skill that I learned at the paper, applying it to the adventure sports world, was working. Like, people actually thought it was halfway decent content. And uh, and it really feels, I I mean, that feels like yesterday. That's the crazy part. Yeah. Is it really feels... That's where I say I have no sense of time until I look in the mirror and I realize, right. who's wait, the old how do I get? The- yeah, who's, who's the old yeah, guy yeah. in
0: that window? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Who
1: did, I just said that to someone. I, I, you know, I hadn't seen someone, this book tour, I've, I've met a lot of old friends. I remember standing in one of the venues and a guy comes up and I think, God, you look familiar, shake hands. And I'm, in my head, I'm thinking, God, you look like shit, you look old. And then I realize, oh, wait. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, wait, I, we've all aged in this <laughs> process. But it does feel like yesterday. I mean, yeah. It's really... And you know, I I mean, it's a little cliche to say, but boy, you know, everything has fallen into place. Yeah. And and I don't want to say it's luck; it's just a whole lot of hard work and passion. And and you know, you know, I always, I I I think I smile every day because I'm having a damn good time along the way. And and when I say damn good, that's even the challenges. You know, when my face is when I'm
0: looking into the wind and getting hammered, I'm still smiling. (laughs) Well, easy. let me let me break something to you. It wasn't yesterday. I know, I know. <laughs> and uh, this career arc, now that you can say this looking backwards, um, of yours has just been amazing. And as a longtime friend and peer, uh, I want to acknowledge that you've been doing this for so long, such an established player in the field and have been able to find success, not just in taking pictures, but in making a lot of, Videos and films. Um, it's been super fun to to, um, to watch. Also, in collaborating around Creative Live and your recent book, it's like there. It's just really fun to watch someone who who you know, and this, I'm speaking from my perspective, who is a true master at something. So I want to put a dot in this thing, mastery. Um, and you told it what I would say is a pretty quick story, pulled the the seats out of your car, and then six months later you were earning money. I wanna go back and explore this part because there's a lot of people who are listening and watching right now for whom the idea of transitioning into something new is scary as hell, is loaded with risk. They may not be 22 or whatever you were when you did that, maybe they're 42. Um, so there may be more at risk than just uh, some college tuition, but regardless if you're 42 or 22, there is some failure. So take us back. Fail, failure, fear, some. It's a, it's a loaded equation. So take us back, and I want to explore your mental state around getting your job as the photographer at the paper, saving up some money, and then actually taking the step to go. Out on your own, which ostensibly was six months, but turned into the rest of your life, and very easily could have not worked out. So, right. add some color around the, your emotion and what was going through your mind at that time. If it really was yesterday, there should be no problem. And I, you know, in Chase, I have to be honest. I rarely say this. I'm
1: still a little concerned someone's going to figure out that I haven't worked a day in my life. You know, there's yeah. there's still that little fear that someone's going to figure out. Wait a second, this guy. How, how is this guy actually making money? Yeah doing what he loves, doing what he loves almost every day. You know, I, I think I've always been my toughest critic. I think that's really important. I mean, you and I were talking about this on the couch an hour ago. It's sort of, you know, good enough is never good enough. I mean, yeah. I, think, I think that's a quality that, you know, those, those people that I admire, those who are successful in whatever it is they do, whether it's composing music or science or photography or filmmaking, it's... They are really critical of their own work. And I think that's something I learned as a kid, as a gymnast. I think it was just ingrained it was it was just in I don't know, beaten to me in the gym, you know, through just endless, endless workouts and working hard and understanding what it meant to hurt but work through it. And I think in the world of photography or in the storytelling world, it's you have to be very realistic about. At what level are you performing? And, you're con- and we have, every time you depress that shutter as a photographer, you then get to look at an image. And you can literally look at it and say, is this mediocre? Is this good? Is this great? And it turns out great's really hard. You know, I, that was one of the experiences in making this book that you know, for 30-some-odd years I've been a photographer. And I've got a few great pictures. And it's hard to even say a few. It takes a lot. To make great pictures a yeah. lot. Like, yeah. I mean, in, in a career, you make a few great pictures. Great, good is, you can consistently make good. That means you're yeah. a professional. Yeah. Like, consistently making good is a professional. Mediocre photography, that's real easy. Like, I think many yeah. folks can get to that level, but we're striving, and I learned this really early on. The way that you make this into a career is you are ultra critical of what you're doing, and you're constantly and every day and in an every action you're striving for great and and great's not easy i mean that's it and it's you know i think i like to say that there's something called the um collective subjective right photography subjective art subjective music subjective and but if you ask a hundred people is this a great song and everybody says it's a great song it's a great song that's all it because it's subjective it's your it's the collective opinion Mm -hmm. and but you still need to, you need to you need to be the first judge of is that work good have you pushed yourself hard enough is how would you refine it even those great pictures even the greatest pictures of my career I can still look at them and say oh it would have been so much better if and i and i think that's a healthy attitude to have a healthy mental perspective which is you know how do you how do you constantly push yourself to that next level and how are you always critical and i think i was that started early in my career i mean i think in that first six months on the road you know i had magazines that i could look at and the, the guys that i looked up to the men and women the greg epperson's the beth wald's the and i could look at their pictures and i could look at my slide film or at least i remembered what i saw through the lens and i thought is it as good not as good or better than what i'm seeing in print and I think that's a basic business philosophy, right? Whether you're making widgets or you're making f- photographs, it's is your widget just as good as all the competition, or is your widget so much better that it's going to compel someone to walk out and stop using their old widget and buy a new widget? And and I and I don't know. I've always just lived by that philosophy. So and true, though. It's so true. It's true, you know. And every now and again. You know, you, you fall below that, you know, I'm always striving to be, it better be good. Trying to get to great. Every now and again you fumble and it goes to like mediocre. And as long as you're honest with yourself that like what happened and you do this analysis of why did that happen? How do I make sure that doesn't happen again? You know, I think that's this sustainability part, Yeah, right? It's sort of your, you know, you there's just this consciousness of I'm always, you know, you've got a North Star. It's what am I aiming? What am I trying to do? And I also... Really early on, realized, and I, you know, I, I'd be curious if you feel the same way. I think f- storytelling, photography, filmmaking became a priority in my life, and I was willing to skip other things in life. Right? Mm. You can't do it all. You yeah. can't. You can't. Um, you know, as a college student, this, this is this an easy way to explain it. You know, I fell in love with photography really early. I was a kid. I was 13 years old, and by the time I got to college, all I wanted to do was be outside taking pictures and well what did that mean what's the compromise i didn't go to football games and i didn't you know i just wasn't interested i wanted to be hanging on a rope in yosemite waiting for opportunities you know sort of that's all that's all i could i had blinders on yeah i mean to to some degree i think i still have blinders on there's a lot of life that i just you know like block that out because it's not that it's it's not that it's not great for other people. It's sure. just it's, it's not, not for bad, or me. bad or boring or yeah. anything. But but yeah,
0: yeah, I, I liken it to. Um, well, first of all, I agree with your statement, and as you sort of prefaced it. Second of all, I like it. I liken it to sacrifice. Hmm. Now I was just talking to a mutual friend of ours, Chris Burkhart, mm-hmm. about like the sacrifices, and when I think back, I can say that I for different periods in my my career have not been a good husband mm-hmm. or not been a good friend or not been a good um, business partner or not been a good fill in the blank because I've been so mm-hmm. obsessed, like freakishly obsessed with the work that not enough room for everything. Right, right. And I made some very hard choices and I think That whether you're thinking about it in terms of mediocre good or great and buckets that you were using I Found that I couldn't do You know tap into the occasional greatness and be consistently good by consistent I'm talking about like a professional athlete quality consistent or a professional photographer in this case that it was impossible to do it the other way around and for the people who have told me that it's possible I've yet to meet a person who's actually done it who's the person who's telling me that it's possible to have balance or yeah. you know, whatever in order to truly hit that level of greatness. And that, it's very, what I'm trying to, just to be really crystal clear, like I'm not advocating that everyone who picks up a camera should try and be a world class or world renowned or a professional even photographer. I think on the contrary, there's a lot of room to be a really good photographer and love it and have none of the downside and be able to be a good father and husband and friend and business partner and mentor and blah, blah, blah. But all that being said, long question, what have you sacrificed in order to make those handful of great pictures and to have the career that you've had? What have you sacrificed?
1: You know, I mean, a a few things. I, I just had some really close friends over for dinner the other night and and you know, one of my dear friends. I mean, I've missed a lot of weddings. That's a great example. Some of my best friends, mm. you know, I've missed their weddings, and it's you know that at one level you can write that off as like, yeah, you know, that happens. Did. But not, not when you have a normal, you know, when you work for a, a Fortune 500 company and you have vacation time and you can schedule your time off. Maybe short of being the CEO, you make weddings. Mm-hmm. Like that's it. Like when your friend yeah. gets married, you make the wedding. Yeah. I was in Pakistan. You know, it's one of yeah. those. And, and doing I, you know, the trip
0: of a lifetime that's right. that led to the development and possibility of your career.
1: Absolutely. That's yeah. right. It's, it, and I think, but, but my friends, I mean, this, the people that I'm really close to also know that. Like, yeah. they understand. We talk about it. They know that. They've known that from the beginning. Um, you know, I, I'm 44 now, and, and my wife is 10 years younger, kind of by design. And we had a child much later. Well, I have a six-year-old girl now. There's no way that I was ready to have that child at 30 or, you know, in my early 30s. It, it would be impossible. Mm-hmm. And, but those are, you know, I think there's, there's just a lot of time with friends, a lot of time with our community. It's the, it's the missing weddings. It's the, you know, those are, those, those are real sacrifices. I, um, and I'm, but I don't look back and regret any of that. I mean, I think it's I am who I am. You know, I like, I think I'm going to be, I'm trying to be an incredible dad. I'm showing, what I want to show my daughter is passion. You know, what does passion look like? And some of that is, you know, with her by my side as we do things together. And some of that is from a distance as I'm sitting in a wild place, FaceTiming, um, explaining why I'm doing it. But, you know, that, I, I think that comes with whatever, whatever you care deeply about, you you have you, you get X amount of time on this planet you get X amount of time per day and it's how do you partition it how do you dole that out and and, and I'm you know I'm very particular about my time I I'm, I'm you know I, I don't want to say selfish about my time because I'm very giving with my time I want to share I'm always trying to help folks not just family and friends but the community as a whole but I'm very deliberate about where my time goes because it's you know the older you get the more you realize it's pretty finite yeah. I think it's a pretty finite amount of time and how much of it goes to the craft, how much of it goes to, you know, I, I always say that if I weren't a photographer, a filmmaker, if I weren't running a business, I would be a teacher. And the beauty of our career is that in the filmmaking world, and the photography world, I, I think it's one of our responsibilities is to pay it forward, to share, to kind of, you know, there's no secret sauce in this game. Yeah. I learned a long time ago. You know, the secret sauce is you just work damn hard all the time you better
0: love what you do because you're <laughs> about it. to like grind your nose off
1: yeah yeah
0: that's right i i don't know if that's the the answer that you're looking for no but it's I, a, yeah, no yeah, i mean just the yeah. concept of weddings and yeah. weddings us you know being able to justify missing your best friend's wedding when you're 20 is you know 25 mm-hmm. or whatever and you start to be able to look back a little bit with a little bit more time under your butt you're like wow that was you know kind of a big deal and i I think of the holidays, the family experiences, yeah. the weddings, the births, the yeah. deaths, the funerals, the like. I missed. I mean, the holidays, holidays are a good one. I, that didn't occur to me. Yeah, yeah hundreds Accur- and hundreds. Like, and I'm not exaggerating. Yeah. There. I missed hundreds of those events. Yeah, and holidays and time with family and, as you know, you said not regretting it, but the awareness sure is. Yeah. I think is is part of what I'm asking for, and that's, I'm. I say that not to dissuade anyone who's thinking of going for it, more to understand that the people who are—if you aspire to be a Corey Rich, like this concept of like being around for everything is—and uh, is, is not. I would say it's not possible. Uh, but I, that's where I would immediately fall back and say, but you know, the goal isn't to try and be another Corey Rich. The goal is to be the best you. And if you understand where your values are. And if you can create a life that's aligned with those values, then you're going to be just fine, whether you want to be world-class or a hobbyist. But to to, like, to tap into what you've done to be able to make a book like this, the films like you've made, is next level.
1: Well, thanks. Uh, you know, I think what's interesting about this idea of sacrifice is along the way, very rarely did I f- consciously feel like, oh, I'm giving up something that... That I, you know, that I am sacrificing.
0: Not really and, a choice, right? It yeah, I like, mean,
1: it, there, there was just never a choice. Yeah. I mean, there was never a choice. It was a no, I mean, I, when you said holidays, I'd, I'd really, I mean, I'd blocked it out. Yeah, I just for 20 years missed all the holidays. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 100%. We just, for the, for, you know, now with a little girl and I've, you know, my, I've designed my life, I'm designing it slightly different because I wanna be there, I wanna mm, be a dad yeah. and, you know, she travels with me and my wife and I are really conscientious of our life But we just, probably for the first time in 15 or 20 years, went to the big family Thanksgiving gathering in Washington, D.C. And you know, my cousins and aunts and uncles. And you know, it still felt like I remember it as a kid, but I haven't been, I've just been M.I.A. (laughs) 20, 25 years. And everyone was shocked. Like, wait, you're here, you know? (laughs) And it was, and it's exactly what you said. It's like, you know, I don't remember ever making the decision to not be there. It's just
0: I was never there because I was, you know, I was doing this. Really. Yeah, it felt like it wasn't, I think that's an interesting acknowledgement. I can say the same thing. I felt like I never felt like I, I felt, certainly I felt sad. Like, yeah. oh, I'm gonna miss your wedding. But it was right. never like, hmm, should I not do the right. Nike job? Right. Right. <laughs> right. And I just, I don't wanna paint it as a dichotomy. I just, I'm trying to help you know, folks who are listening understand if they yeah. wanna operate at that level. And I think the same is what we're talking about. Photography, and in your case, Corey, action sports photography. But I, I have yet to find in entrepreneurship or the cello or um, the nonprofit world or like fill in the blank anyone who is truly operating that level that hasn't made insane sacrifices.
1: You know, I also think when you talk about that, the person that wants to pursue photography, you know, I started when I was a kid. But there's someone listening that's 42 years old. And they want to go down this road. And I think the other part that I think is flawed, I oftentimes you know, I get a lot of email and people asking questions. And when, when someone in essence sends me their business plan before they send me their photos, mm-hmm. it's, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a firm believer, and it goes back to the like quality. If you have the great content, the, the business side falls into place. It's, I think, going at it back like the other way, which is, so here's my strategy over the next 24 months. And then I'm going to learn how to make photos. But, I'm, but here's how I'm going to sell them and how I'm going to get assignments. And I'm, you know, why are, why are art buyers not calling me back? I've just, I've all, I always came at it from the other side, which is, I love, I'm like a guy about the journey, right? To travel hopefully is better than to arrive. I love the journey. I love being in the experience, on the trip, making the pictures, trying to make the picture better, you know, working hard. It's fun when I see it on the magazine cover or the billboard or, you know, on television. But I don't get as much joy out of that kind of the final, you know, the the final delivery, the the publication, the airing. That's not the great joy. The great joy for me comes out of the process. And I think when people come at it more from the, you know how, how do I get jobs and how do I make money at this? It's, I always like time out. Wait, that's at least for me. That's never been. That all falls into place if what you're doing and it goes back to that like mediocre, good, great. If what you're doing is great, everything else falls into in, into line. I yeah. mean, really, it just I mean, it fall. I mean, assuming. But the assuming opportunity you're not at, for it to fall in line is there. That's but right. if you don't
0: have the work, there's no opportunity.
1: Zero. That's right. Yeah. That's well, that's yeah. not true. I mean, I think I've met a few people where you scratch your head and you think. Damn, you are just an amazing entrepreneur. Yeah, your work is awful. It's pretty rare though. Yeah. that is that's yeah. the exception to the rule. Yeah. Usually, it's someone has exceptional work because they've worked really hard. You know, usually they have some raw talent, uh, and and you can cultivate talent. I don't think that's yeah. just something that you're born with. Their willingness to work really, really hard,
0: and they're a good person. Yeah. You know, those, those things three can things. Trying to make anything, right? Yeah, anything. Yeah. Um, I don't know if if uh, there are some questions. For those folks at home who are listening, we we did have Instagram Live. All right, I'm gonna uh, repeat that question for the folks at home since I've got a mic and you don't. Um, when you first started shooting, um, did you start off by getting releases from the climbers you were photographing when you yeah. talked about being at the campground? I and mean, to me, that's almost this like, uh, to preface the answer, it's almost like your business plan before the work question that you just sort of answered like you're already planning the viability right. of your images without it being, you know, I don't know if yeah. it's freaking good or not, but oh, I'm And this curious. is probably
1: a question coming from someone that's making great pictures and now they're trying to figure out the business side. You know, climbing is an amazing, like any action sport, any adventure sport, um, you don't show up at the tennis courts, you know, down the street in Seattle and Andre Agassi's out there whacking balls. I mean, it just doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. The pros play on one field and, the you know, the amateurs play on another. And the beauty of adventure sports, they ski on the same hills, they go to the same cliffs. And you know, 20 years ago, I figured out that I would go to Yosemite and you know, 50 yards to the left were the best climbers in the world. They were climbing with steeper and with fewer holds. And I've, I've always been a believer in you're just completely transparent about what you're trying to do, what I'm trying to do. Mm. You know, which first and foremost, I'm just driven by you know, I introduce myself, and then Do you mind? i I love taking pictures. You love rock climbing. Do you mind if I spend time with you taking pictures? And ninety nine point nine percent of the time, the answer is, absolutely. It's this perfect marriage mm. between what I love to do and what they love to do. Um, you know, this is a long winded way of saying, no, I don't worry about the model release until I've actually done something. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's really
0: I. You know, uh, the, the, especially the model, early on, if you're like if you're a course. pro and your goal is to take. Pictures at the low, first of all, most working pros that I don't know, their goal is not to like make money working at the local crag. Right, right. Right. You're sort of like, that's where you're honing your skills, and then money is made on adventures when they're, you know, when a bunch of conditions line right. up. It's, it's, that's it's right. a, route, a little more intentional. That being said. Uh, yeah,
1: I think as a young person shooting pictures, it starts with make amazing pictures of that climber first, that you're going to wow them, whether that's the climber or the mountain bike or the skier. Mm-hmm. And then ask for this model release. It's really what you alluded to, Chase. It's don't let the business side of it get in front of. Don't, don't let it. You know, don't get the cart before
0: the horse. Tail like the dog. Yeah, There's a million a, of yeah, those. Yeah. yeah, and I do also like a piece of color, if I may, is that the I found that ninety nine percent of the images that I was proud of, or that I felt like had viability in the market, or were just powerful storytelling images they were intentionally made and they weren't made where I was documenting mm. something. Mm-hmm. It was a collaboration where I know at this moment you're gonna hit this mm. mark on the turn or this hold or this you know element. And sure there's some documentarian approach that works and occasionally, but 99 times out of 100 there's this, it's a collaboration. Right. So it's, I'm gonna be here, I'm focused on this moment or this hold or this move or this fill in the yeah. blank. And where our skills come together is that I'm going to be there. I'm going to nail my part. And as the athlete or climber or whatever. So it's more collaborative for the people who are at home going like, how are pro photos made? Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I I almost feel like there's different phases in my career. And and maybe it's because it's so deeply rooted in climbing. Definitely early on for me it was truly, because I didn't know any different. I just knew what it meant to be a documentary Photographer, a photojournalist in the adventure world. And so, you know, for a big chunk of my early career, I was really just along for the ride yeah. and kind of waiting for these fleeting moments to unfold in front of me. And, you know, of course, the athletes totally knew that I was there. And, you know, they were, you know, but, but I'm, you know, I, I, I think for five or 10 years, it was truly kind of mostly found moments yeah. on expeditions. And then this kind of interesting thing happens. Which is, you know, you're, you're, my, then it was in the print world and my bio, you know, my photo credit was appearing everywhere. And then the phone starts ringing and it's the ad agency world calling. And, and they're saying, we love this picture. Now can you make it happen on demand? And I think that's what you're describing. Yeah. I, you know, the way that I graduated into the can you do it in a commercial capacity or for an ad. It was first I did it sort of in that documentary authentic way. And then once, you, once I knew how to do it authentically, then I knew how to kind of orchestrate it to happen on demand on a certain day with yep. you know a bunch of people standing behind me telling me what they want or what they don't like. And so uh, you know, for me, everyone gets to that point in a different way. Like, yeah. you know, for me, it was coming really from that photojournalism background. Yeah. You know, my, the two things I understood, which was being outside and being dirty and you know, suffering and, and photojournalism, and, and now I think those two skills, oftentimes if I'm hired, it's not for a super polished image. It's something that still has a little bit of a gritty, raw feel to it. Yeah. But, you know, nine times out of ten now, I'm, I'm being asked to do it, like, on a Thursday
0: at noon. <laughs> and that's the difference between a pro and an amateur, right? Right, right. Like, the pro golfer, you're like oh, I can only hit it straight if it's not windy and it's not rainy and no one is watching and that doesn't equal a pro. A pro is like you can literally create that stuff on demand. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, All right, I want to go back just a second to uh, that time we met at one of my, that was my first photo studio that was out of my house. Hmm. Do you remember the conversations that we had at all? Gosh, I I, I don't. I'm wondering how they like, how they compare to the ones we're having right now.
1: yeah. Yeah, I think it was more of like a passing. I think it was, I, I don't remember a long
0: conversation. Just for, the, for what it's worth, yeah. I walked by that this morning because uh-huh. I still live two blocks, wow. different house, but yeah. I live two blocks from that location. And uh, it's right next door to my coffee shop where I go every morning if I'm yeah, in that's Seattle. that's really funny. So uh, I know the spot super well. I know I can picture it in my mind. It's now a restaurant that my wife and I are partners in with an, another Uh, Friend, But that space is still there and that's why I was curious if you remember what we talked about relative to say what we're talking about now
1: I I mean, I think what's so Fascinating now (laughs) to look back, you know kind of look in the rearview mirror in in my you know, it's still short careers. We're Mm -hmm. we're young guys It's that there's an amazing camaraderie amongst professionals in this industry Mm -hmm. whether it's you and I sitting down or whether you just talked about Chris it's I think there's just this open door. I think and we're living in, in the golden age of just free-flowing, sharing information. And I think Creative Live is, you know, is is right at the pinnacle of that. It's that idea of just sharing and paying it forward. And I I I love that no matter you know, the colleagues that I have, the friends that I have in this industry, that, that we can pick up the telephone and just have deep, sincere, real conversations yeah. about the trials, the tribulations, we can celebrate together over the phone or in person. Yeah, and that I think we were we're lucky that we were born into this industry, um, kind of at the tail end of where folks were a lot more tight lipped early on. Mm-hmm. I think I think there really was this this sort of philosophy when I was maybe younger that. You know, there's just secrets, and you don't share those secrets. And oh, now yeah. it's come on. There's no secrets. It's all about how do we collectively raise the bar. Yeah. And you know, the, the the I get so excited when I see a new name, and I see incredible work that they're doing. And it's, I mean, yeah. it 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 energizes me. I yeah. love seeing new talented folks out there. You know, men and women just doing cool stuff. And it's, I want to believe that it's it's because everyone shares these days. I mean, that's part of why the bar
0: is. Is, is being raised well speaking of sharing i want to visit your book here uh because thank you a for sharing with me and sending me an advanced copy uh, signed no less right there um but speaking of, st- of sharing and stories uh your new book here stories behind the images lessons from a life in adventure photography uh this is 30 years in the making, right? Yeah, it sure is. It's yeah. like a, a whole lifetime worth of spending time outdoors. And um, what compelled you to create it? What's the why yeah. behind this book? You know, I,
1: I think from the very first time that I went rock climbing, I, I won a pull-up contest. I did 35 pull-ups when I was 13 years old. And one of my junior high school teachers... Took notice of the short, strong kid and invited me to go rock climbing, and my father agreed to let me go. But he sent my older brother, and you know, one morning at five a.m., he dropped us off in the parking lot, and we loaded into Bob Porter's truck. And my math teacher was in the other in the passenger seat, and 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 I, I remember distinctly he he had a forty pack of powdered donuts that he you know opened up, and this aroma of powdered donuts you know blew through the car. And they had a 7-Eleven coffee, which also had a distinct smell. And as we zipped out of the parking lot, he cracked open a Budweiser. And there was this mix of Budweiser, 7 Eleven coffee, and powdered donuts. And I immediately thought, God, this is just so different than going on a road trip with mom and dad. This was, (laughs) this was like it already had blown my mind. And then we drove for two hours into the Sierra Nevada Mountains, and Bob and George. Immediately went into storytelling mode. They just had awesome story after awesome story of adventure and comedy and trials and tribulations and then we went climbing and I fell in love with every aspect of the physical and the mental and the, and the cultural aspects, just the culture of climbing. And, and I think on that day I fell in love with the art of storytelling. I realized I was sitting with two Jedi Masters of storytelling, and they didn't know it. They, you know, they were two school teachers who loved climbing, but they had this gift. We got back in the car and they told more stories. And, and I think that day, I didn't realize it, but I, I wanted stories of my own. You know, I, I, I wanted to learn, I, I intuitively began to learn that craft of storytelling. And, and I can honestly say that today, one of my favorite things to do is sit around a campfire and listen to stories and tell stories. And that's really what this book is. It's, um, you know, I, I almost, I wrote the book, in a way I, I envisioned sitting at a campfire with the reader, with you, and I'm, I'm sharing these tales that hopefully are entertaining. Hopefully there's something educational. You know, oftentimes they're caricatures of amazing people. I mean, that's what, that's the greatest gift that I've had in my career is to spend time around people who totally inspire me and wow me. With the way they think and the way they are, you know that they've mastered what they do, mm. and oftentimes they're self-deprecating. You know they're the lessons. You know I, I kind of put my ego in check when I wrote this book because I think the mistakes I've made are some of the you know the great lessons in the book. But that's it. It's it's really about I wanted to, you know I wanted to I, I wanted to preserve the stories first mm-hmm. of all. You know I found yeah. these are a lot of the stories that I tell. You know there, there are fifty-six of the stories that I tell you know, sitting around the campfire. And the hardest part about this book was, you know, which 50-some-odd stories of the, you know, now the greater part of my life of stories, what do you tell? And which ones are meaningful? Yeah. You know, this isn't, this is definitely not a traditional photo book. I, yeah, mean, I, I think was that's really one of the things that I
0: want to be really clear on and from the outsider perspective is this is a book about photography, but to me, it's a story, It's it's a book about being a creator and creating these moments and creating these stories and with intention and then capturing and then being able to craft them. And it's about life. This is like the Trojan horse of this book is uh, not the photography aspect, it's the other way around. It's the life lessons and the humanity and the connection. That's why it's just, it's so universal it feels like, but it's living life through your lens. I, I was pretty adamant that, you
1: know, this is a book that you read and then you look at the pictures because the stories are about the pictures, but I was pretty adamant that it shouldn't be a hardcover, oversized book, you know, and I'm a guy that I'm a connoisseur of photo books, you know, I, we have shelves of photo books, but I can honestly say I've, I'm not sure I've ever read a hardcover photo book cover to cover. Yeah. It's just not designed for that. It's yeah. designed to sit on your, you know, coffee table. And, yep. And this book, I wanted it to be small and I wanted it to be something that, you know, if someone's going backpacking, they could tear it in half and bring, you know, bring a few chapters into the woods. I, I keep on waiting to show up at someone's house and see it on the back of the toilet because that's, you know, it's, it's designed to actually be consumed. Yeah. And, and I, it also, you don't need to read it in order. I mean, these chapters really, you could pick it up anywhere you know, jump to the middle of the book and, and it, it doesn't have to be chronological the way that you you know you don't read it start to finish. But that that was really the spirit of the book. I I wanted to I, I wanted it to be lessons that folks could um that, that last forever. And I also was very conscientious of um, you know, these stories I wanted to preserve them while while they still are meaningful to me. I, you know, if I and I'm, I don't want this to come off the wrong way, but if tomorrow I got hit by a bus, I wanted my daughter to have a really good sense of who her dad was. And I'm not planning to get hit by a bus or fall off a rope or get you know buried in an avalanche. But but there is there has been this reality in my world of I used to say, you know, that when people would ask, "Is what you do dangerous?" And my always my go-to answer, Chase was. Uh, you know, driving to work in Seattle, commuting in traffic is far more dangerous than what I do. But now 30 years later, I don't know anyone take. that's died commuting to work. I don't yeah. I, I, haven't, I don't know anyone that's died commuting to work, but I can't count all of the friends that I've lost on my fingers and toes. Yeah. And so there's that, you know, that was the other small motivation behind this was, you know, preserve these stories that you know um, and and I you know, one day my daughter's barely interested in in the book right now but she loves storytelling because i think it's so much a part of our home you know when friends come over we sit around the we sit around our you know fire which is really the island in our kitchen and Mm -hmm. we tell stories and you know Layla's totally embraced this idea of of you know communicating and you know she's even learning at six years old how to like tee up a story where you you know describe some detail and and then you you know kind of you set it up so that there's some mystery around what's going to happen and then you get to the punchline and 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 I you know I realized that's that's what this is about. I want her to have that gift.
0: Oh, well, we talked earlier about sacrifice, and you've already said that some of the stories um, made it in the book and some didn't. Did you have a criteria mm. on which to decide,
1: yeah, or I, I was it really
0: like, was it pure like intuition? This is a go and this
1: is a no go. Yeah. Well, you know maybe that's. It's worth describing the process for making this book. It was, um, you know, I, I, I think I'm a solid photographer. I mean, I've made a couple of, we talked about that. I've made a few great pictures in my life, a lot of good pictures. I think I'm a pretty good storyteller. I think I love storytelling as much as I do photography, but I'm not a great writer. Like, I, you know, writing is painful for me. I can do it, but it really hurts. And, I, you know, we talked <laughs> about this in, your, in we, writing your book. Yeah. And, and so I really, in, in putting this book together, the way that it would start is I find I'm the most creative when I'm actually moving. You know, I can sit at a desk and I can force myself to do something. But I'm, I enter the flow state when my heart's beating at 150 beats per second. Some sweat's dripping in my eye and, you know, there's sort of endorphins and i uh, most of this book was was written while walking or riding a bike and i would ride up a hill for an hour or two and you know the first ride was just thinking i had a couple of pictures in my head and i would think through what is the story what would the message be what would i actually write in this chapter and i you know I, I think photographers many photographers have this gift we can see things we can visually i can tee up lots of visuals in my head and remember those little details and I'd go through a checklist oftentimes of, that that photo doesn't really work because the story's not strong enough. And I'd be writing each one of them in my head. And then I would finally, after a few bike rides or hikes, I would hone in on, you know, yep, this is an image. This is a worthy image. And, I'd, you know, the iPhone has changed our world. I'm taking notes just in the Notes app. And then I would maybe spend another ride thinking about what would, what would the lesson be? How would I tell this story? And then eventually I would, whether it was riding up the hill or sitting on a plane or sitting in a hotel bar, I would just do a voice memo into the phone as though I'm sitting at a fire. I would tell my five or 10 or 15 or 20 minute story into my phone and then that would get transcribed. And then I worked with an incredible writer, Andrew Bicharat, and and we as a a team would take that 20 minute transcription and cut it down and cut it down and Andrew would add some of his wordsmithing. And, um, And oftentimes we'd go through a few revisions but it started as doing blog posts. I mean, yeah. you know, over you know five years ago, it was you know probably inspired by your blog. I mean, you, know, you were like the the photo- the guy that like showed us all how to create a photography blog, and I started writing essays. And you know, seventy some odd essays later, realized, dang, I think we've got a book here.
0: I I, I found so much joy in all of the little um, moments. I remember seeing pictures in your book the first time I saw them, say, in a Patagonia catalog. Mm-hmm. Or there's a guy named Justin Bastion. Right, right. And I ended up meeting Justin through doing my iPhone book. He randomly wrote me. He's, I'm a developer in Silicon Valley. And right. and and then I'm like, only years later, piecing all this stuff together. Like, wait a minute, Justin, who introduced me to Katarina Fake, who started Flickr, who is in this photograph of Sorry, Corey's. That was in the it was in the Patagonia catalog that I saw in you know two thousand four right. or whatever like it was a it was very nostalgic for me, and perhaps I think on the obvious superficial answer might be able to say because we were in the same industry and pursuing a similar path. but you know, go back to that point that I mentioned earlier about like there's just a, a universality to this material um, about. Adventure like whether you're climbing El Cap or you're trying to Figure out what school to get your kid into or you've decided to change careers like There is adventure in all of those things and that's part of what I've you know can say Indisputably that I love about the book uh, is There's this fabric, and I think it's you as a Storyteller, so do you feel like that method that you used this combination of visualization and transcription, and would you have changed anything in making the book?
1: No, I don't. I don't. I don't think. I don't think you I. You said it was any. joyful earlier, yeah. which
0: to me was amazing. Like <laughs> my, writing my book was not joyful. It was joyful. Uh, there were moments of joy, but a lot of pain. You know, this might be. I hadn't thought about this until you just asked
1: the question this might be the only thing in my life that I actually did like slowly and methodically over time in like bite-sized pieces. Like I was never the guy. Like, Congratulations. Yeah, like, yeah, but, but it was of course, achieving. I mean the funny thing is I think it was by mistake. Yeah. I, I wish I could say that was intentionally because I was all, I've always been the guy that waited until the 11th hour to cram for an exam. I mean, I, in fact, once I did a TEDx talk and I, I don't know why, in my head, I just convinced myself everybody must wait until like a few days before, and then they put a talk together and i i remember, and this is just to kind of illustrate how I'm always the guy that does it at the last minute, except for this book and i I remember sitting in my basement, my my office was still in my house, and one morning I got up and i it's you know the TEDx talk is a couple of days out, and I called. One of my dear friends, Tommy Caldwell, a rock climber, and Tommy had just done a big TEDx talk in DC. And I called. I was. I think I planned to call Tommy just to get validation that yeah, I'm doing it just like everyone else. You wait until the eleventh hour, and then you, you know, you just cram. Yeah, yeah. You just go deep. Yeah, you just dig deep, and you just make it happen. And I, you know, six in the morning, and I call Tommy. I say, Hey, can I just? So, how did you prepare for that TEDx talk? I mean, what, what did you do? Tell me. And, and he said, When's your talk? And I said, Oh, it's on you know Saturday. He said, This Saturday? I said, Yeah, yeah, this Saturday. And he said, Oh dude, you know, he said, Oh man, I've never prepared for anything in my life more than that TEDx talk. He said, I hired a coach. I like and then it went through this process of rounds of writing. Then you would go for <laughs> hikes in
0: the woods with with this like is a cards. Guy who climbed never before climbed routes on the Donwall.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and 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 I, and of course, in that moment, you know, I sort of my heart stopped, and I realized, okay, I have to drop everything that I'm doing right now. Like I stopped picking up the phone. I, yeah. Like I had to put a talk together. And for the next 72 hours, I just worked on putting that talk together. But that's my standard demo. Yeah, that's my even though I don't like to admit it. Yeah, um, this was like the exception to the rule, where slow like I trickled these stories out, and enjoyed. There was almost a lesson in this that now I'm realizing I should do more things like that in life. <laughs> I should do more things that are actually just like every day, and slowly that kind of you know accumulate over time. Um, I may, that's my takeaway from this talk. Awesome. Right? I need to do I need to do more of the uh, slow trickle
0: accumulation over time and getting maximum joy out of the experiences. Well, congratulations on the book. It's it's really stunning, and I had a couple of questions if we can on yeah, a couple of should. different stories. So, uh, why did you start with? And I, I don't know what the actual title is. Not not the preface. The doing what you love mm. is the is chapter one, and. I think a lot of people are listening and watching understand superficially the value of doing what you love because, as you mentioned earlier, at one point during our conversation, was about it was like kind of cliche to say this or think this, or clearly, if you're going to start a book that you've been working thirty years to tell, and the title of the first chapter is "Doing What You Love," there's something more there than superficial. Yeah. I mean I to me it's still just the the
1: pillar of my career if, if there's one thing or it's it's not just the pillar of my career it's I think it's who I am it all comes down to passion right it all comes down to you, you can't put as much time and energy into something as we do into photography or filmmaking or whatever it is you're doing unless you really really deeply love it and are passionate about it and I and I think that first chapter is about taking six months off from college. And, and I probably tell the story of, you know, convincing my parents
0: to take a semester off. The, and the seats out of your car. Yeah, that's the That's classic, of- that's the, I remember that the first time you told me before the book and before the the uh, conversation, I think even before your creative live class, you told me mm-hmm. that story and I thought it was really moving. And But that's born out of passion, yeah. right? I mean, that's born out of
1: doing what you love. And that picture of Kevin Gallagher ascending a rope over the Mexico, northern Mexico desert. You know, that was the byproduct of going out and doing what you love for six months with zero plan for was this gonna turn into a career? Would I, could I ever pay for the 100 rolls of film that I shot? You know, it was, it, was, it was just born sheerly out of, you know, I talk about I still have blinders that are like this. I think then I had blinders that were like this. You know, yeah. all I could see was this just narrow you know narrow field of view but that field of view was being outside having adventures being around people that were amazing and trying to make really compelling pictures and you know those are sort of the tenets of my life and career that those they kind of haven't changed actually i was just gonna
0: say have they changed
1: i mean it's still you know i spend less time hanging on ropes today and i think my you know as i've grown up i've also had this realization you know i talked about having a daughter and i realized you know i don't want to always be taking risks I'm, you know i really love being alive and i i, I want to have a i want to have a sustainable career and lifestyle you know i wanted to buy a house and i and i realized that there was a part of my brain that i also i like running a business i like the kind of the, those challenge i just like challenge i yeah. guess is the so, you know, my world looks a little different now. We have, I'm a business partner in a production company, and we have 15 full-time employees, and we work with contractors all over the globe, and not everything that we shoot is adventure sports. Mm-hmm. But I always say that, you know, everything that I learned shooting adventure sports, you know, like, look, if you can do it hanging off a rope 2,000 Gosh. feet off the ground, I can definitely do it with my feet on concrete, <laughs> You know, with with lots of people talking and into a my coffee ears.
0: cup, and your <laughs> a name went with on your chair. Absolutely, your yeah, coffee. absolutely, yeah,
1: absolutely. I, in fact, then I get you know, in, in the adventure world, you know, you you spend so much time and energy just physically getting there, and you're managing risk, and you're you know the, the psychology of the athletes, and and then you switch gears into okay, I'm finally in this spot. Now I'm going to look through this rectangle and be creative, and it's like you're shifting constantly from you know, creative to safety to kind of, you know, athleticism to get yourself there. And, but those are the greatest lessons, like learning it. I'm, I'm so thankful that I learned the craft and the adventure world. And now in the kind of commercial advertising world, you're still shifting gears, but it's a different style of shifting gears. It's not, is this Serac going to, you know, crush me or is, you know, is the rope getting frayed on an edge? It's, okay, that client over there um, really wants me to try something else, but I need to get this shot. Let's get him another latte
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> while I you know, yeah. humor him, and then I'm gonna tell some stories, and then I'm gonna, yeah. and so it's, I mean, it's all just challenge, yeah. I, and, I, and I guess that's what I love. It's it's the, I love the process of making a great final product. I mean, that's, that's I, I think, where I get all the joy.
0: Um, I'm gonna let you choose. I, I have, I have two, two stories that I wanna to touch on. One is, I'll just go there first because um, I'm choosing to. And you talk a little bit about shooting Alex on uh, free soloing. Oh, right. And I mentioned this in part because it's relatable because of the success of Free Solo. You know, our mutual friends made the film, Jimmy Chin, uh, one of the co-directors with his wife Shai um you were photographing those those so the same places and moments with the same people and because it's relatable to anyone you don't have to be an action sports photographer or lover uh because the, the film has seen such wide spread success but earlier you talked about losing friends and you can't count them on fingers and toes um what's it like in that moment you do a nice job of talking about it in the book but share it with us yeah. here.
1: You know, I mean, Alex so What is the guy doing
0: without ropes? So your yeah, mind takes a yeah. second to recognize that you're yeah. just like, something is wrong here. Very, very wrong.
1: I, I mean, Alex is a, I mean, I, I think I can say this about many of the people in this book, that they are, everyone in this book, actually, they're all extraordinary human beings. I mean, in their own right, and I think that's one of the gifts of being a photographer, is that we- you know, that camera is the golden ticket. It lets us into their lives. Mm-hmm. We get a backstage pass to life, which is pretty extraordinary. I mean, yeah. literally we can open any door. You know, we, photographers, storytellers, with that camera. And, and Alex is one of those, you know, he is the one in 10 billion. I mean, he is yeah. really, you know, Alex is one of the smartest guys that you will ever meet. He, you know, he's really intelligent. He's also an you know incredible athlete. Yeah, you know, physically we, so gifted. Yeah, he's just yeah. he's a I mean he's a specimen. I mean he's yeah. a specimen. But it's but he's a specimen in kind of two different realms. He has this he has a brain. He has the mental aptitude and capacity to process the world in a way that I mean literally nobody else can. Mm-hmm. I mean he, the way that he has mental control that no one else has. But he also you know we view Alex most folks as, as they should they know Alex is like you know the the boldest climber of all time, climbing El Capitan without a rope. But it's, when you see, you know, those gifts together, the mental capacity with the physical capacity is really remarkable. Alex was, this past summer he came to town and and a couple of us went for a mountain bike ride. And Alex is not a mountain bike rider. You know, I ride a lot. I'm not a great Mm -hmm. mountain bike rider, but I love riding for the exercise and what it does to my brain and kind of getting into that flow state. I'm the most creative. And Alex, you know, he was riding like a heavy mountain bike, and my, it's my dear friend Chris McNamara and, and Alex and then my buddy Chad and the four of us are out there. And, and Alex, you you know, in climb, by climbing standards, Alex is a 5'9 mountain biker. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> sure. kind of a, you know, he's a, you know, kind of, I don't even want to say intermediate mountain biker. Yeah. He's like a beginner mountain biker. And we take him on probably like a bigger ride than, than we should, but he's an animal. Like we know that aerobically he can handle this. And it was fascinating to watch Alex. I was, Chad was the slowest in the group and I was kind of between Chad and Alex and Chris was leading the way. And, and, it was, and so for an hour plus I could watch Alex sort of you know, figure out how to ride this kind of technical Tahoe granite terrain and, and, and 30 minutes in, he was walking his bike and kind of falling over and getting back on. And then finally he blurts out to me, he says, oh, "I I kind of I get it now. It's kind of like on sighting a boulder problem. You have to like look at the holds, but now I'm looking at like the terrain. And then I just have to like on sight and i calcu- And then he did it. Like he just, for the rest of the, he went from like 5'9 to 5'12 in the span of like 30 minutes because he had that mental capacity to sort of analyze the situation to physically like take control of the bike. And he could, you know, he could send the, they were connected. The right? messages of his yeah, brain with yeah. his body. And, yeah. and he could execute. Like he because he's one of the most highly tuned athletes on the planet. But it but it doesn't change. You know, to your original question, watching, watching Alex without a rope. It's hard because you're watching a friend. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you sort of, even though Alex will tell you, and I've interviewed Alex on this topic it's you know about free soloing and like you know being close to the edge and death and he will at the end of the interview you will feel like well this guy i mean he'll never fall because he is so confident and he's so calculated but you know it, it, there there's always the possibility and it and it is i've always in, i i haven't worked with Alex as much as Jimmy and Chai did for for their film but those times that i've shot Alex without a rope i always have that conversation up front because i just feel like i have to which is never ever do something because i'm asking you to and and alex has always had that confidence and sort of that that sensibility to to back down when he doesn't feel it and i think you saw that in jimmy and chai's film yeah that you know he backed down several times and from different aspects absolutely Yeah. yeah i mean we did a shoot that's in the book years ago it was for a nikon camera launch and alex was one of the characters and and it was really impressive. We shot him free soloing a root in Joshua Tree. We probably shot it three times on day one and on day two, it was a little hot. He did it one time, started up the second time. It was kind of like you know, sweaty and he, that's it. He backed down and he said, I think I'm done. And it was, it was a huge relief at some level. Yeah. I mean, it was sort of, oh, okay, God, we're done. We're fine, yeah. it's over.
0: Yeah,
1: because <laughs> it's, tr- it's painful to be oh, you yeah. and I in those moments yeah. for sure. Yeah, that's and but but it's it's also if if anyone really has processed you know the kind of the upside and the downside and sort of what he's it's Alex. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, maybe no other free soloist in history has really kind of processed what they're doing at the level and and internalized it and rationalized it and thought given at the level of of intellect that Alex has now that, and it doesn't mean if, you know, when someone falls, it's still the same consequence. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it is pretty tough. And, you know, I I can say this as, as one of Alex's friends, and I think many friends would say, you know, we all hope that that was like the grand achievement in free soloing. It's, I think it's one of the greatest sports feats of all time. Yeah, for and, sure. You know, I don't know, maybe that's maybe that's the last of the big free solos.
0: It would be great if it were. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of thinking for everybody, Yeah, forever, yeah, yeah. Um, Tell me one story. This is the, what I was trying to decide where to go. I, I was curious about how you answered that last one. But now, uh, since this is about stories, a story you didn't tell that's in the book that you can share with us.
1: Mm, that's a really good one. That's a-
0: Because there's a, there's certainly a lot of them on the cutting room floor or on the yeah. bike ride somewhere that you decided sure, to chuck. Sure, sure. And if it was, was it because you had an image without the story or was there a story Without an image,
1: I think there's even you know in in any one of these chapters, you know I I don't know how many words each chapter is, but let's call it a thousand words. Still, a lot hits the cutting room floor. Right, the the beauty of sitting around a campfire is that you can tell long stories and you can add lots of color and texture. And I was just reminded, um, I, I was giving a talk a couple of weeks ago, and and one of my dear friends, Todd Offenbacher stands up and he's a Tahoe legend kind of you know per, one of the most passionate people about life and being outside and Todd stood up to introduce me before I gave my book talk and he reminded me you know he, he was part of one of the stories we went to um, to the Aragatch Peaks in Alaska to do a new route um, with Tommy Caldwell and Hayden Kennedy and, uh, and a, cr- a great group of guys Tommy Thompson and Dane Henry and we were doing it for Discovery Channel. So we were, the, we were the subjects of the show. It was a show called Flying Wild Alaska about bush pilots in Alaska. And so you know, the film crew followed us up until the bush plane dropped us off, and then we skied in you know, 20 miles into these rooms, maybe as remote as you can get in Alaska during the winter. It was minus 20, and it was you know, brutal. crazy, really wild, real adventure. And, you know, there's grizzly bears all over. And so we brought, I was reminded, Todd introduced me and he told this funny piece of the story that never made it into the book. But we brought, you know, for our protection, we brought this giant handgun and we brought 50 rounds of ammunition, but we were, everything was human powered. So, you know, once we got dropped off, we were towing sleds and we had these heavy sleds. And the last night that we were in our base camp, we had to skin out another 20 miles with heavy sleds. And so anything that was extra weight, you know, we, we wanted to lose it. And so you know, a lot of whiskey got consumed. And we had because 50. Because you didn't want to
0: carry it out. Yeah,
1: we didn't want to carry it out. That's right, <laughs> we didn't, you didn't want to carry it out. And so you know, we had 50 rounds of ammo. And we, we saw bear tracks, but we never were confronted by a bear. And so we decided, you know, after a little whiskey was consumed, that we could definitely shoot you know, 44 of the rounds and have you know, six remaining in the, in the gun. And so, you know, for an hour or so, we stood in this remote campground, you know, started as just trying to hit stuff. And then, you know, we're shooting behind our heads and, you know, under, and it's, you know, and we shoot 44 <laughs> rounds of ammo because it's pretty heavy, you know. Yeah. <laughs> That's our rationale. And the next morning, you know, and we're feeling pretty good about our decision, a little hungover the next morning. And we start skinning out. We have, it's going to hurt no matter what. Like when you skin yeah, that 20 plus Oof. miles, it's, it's pulling sleds, it's brutal and we're skinning out and we're you know eight hours into our day and everyone has their head down it you know it hurts everyone the same amount everyone's fit and tommy caldwell is up ahead of us he's like leading the group and you know the guy in front is working the hardest because they're putting in the track yep. and, and tommy's an animal he's in in like beast mode as he's doing this and all of a sudden we hear like the, he screams like a girl you know does this shriek like ah and we see him unclipped from his sled and he's kind of far enough out that we don't know what's happening. And he comes skinning back to us really fast and he says, there's a huge grizzly bear and we're in this narrow slot canyon. You know, We have to get out because there's going to be a plane the next day. And, you know, all of a sudden this idea of shooting 44 rounds, you know, we're looking for this pistol and all of a sudden, you know, we have this huge revolver. And, and you also realize like, what do you what do you do with this revolver now you know you have like your ski pants and it's like tucked in (laughs) but falling down your leg and and all of a sudden you know we get as close as we possibly can and Todd is the you know he's like our he's the guy that actually knows how to operate a pistol in our group the rest of us are clueless and and all of a sudden we all want to just be right next to Todd you know it's sort of anyone falling behind I remember Hayden's Hayden Kennedy's skin was falling off one of his skis and, you know, he screamed, wait for me, you guys, you know, and he's, trying, he's like <laughs> and shuffling, and yeah, yeah, he's just, like... <laughs> and we skied up to where, you know, where Tommy left his sled and, and a grizzly bear had literally just killed, I believe it's a caribou, had killed a caribou and had, you know, panicked when Tommy skied up. And so the bear had like mostly covered the caribou with snow, but was clearly in the bushes someplace. And it was, you know, now it's like getting late in the day. And it was the most terrifying ski out because we have this, you know, six rounds of ammo, you know, five or six of us in a line and we just skied past this like fresh a carcass, yeah. yeah. and so you know that, and I, so I just, I don't know why that, that story comes to mind because that's, there's a great essay in the book about that trip and about Hayden Kennedy and what an incredible person he is and like lessons learned on the wall but you know that's the beauty of of adventure real adventure where the outcomes is uncertain is that there's you know there's layers to stories and and i and i think that's what i get so much joy out of is you know long form storytelling you can you can tell the the bullet story you can tell the bear story you can tell the you know the, and the, <laughs> and the story that's in the book
0: um, well uh, it it was truly remarkable i also want to say thank you so much for uh page two six nine uh chapter 54. little shout out to your experiences here at creative live Uh, thanks so much for including us in your magically crafted book so i appreciate that and for the folks who pick it up um read that but thank you very much for that
1: man it was a great nod no i meant it i mean i think what you've done with creative live is is really special and i I really took pride in writing that chapter because I, you know, I, I, in the most complimentary way. And for those of you at home that read that chapter, I think it's a pretty accurate description of this guy that's sitting next to me, who's a genius and who is passionate. Um, and uh, I, I hope it makes you laugh. Actually, I hope it, it's a-
0: it, it does. And you know, you've done some really magical stuff with creative live. A couple of classes, one with Red Bull, where we were like live streaming some of the World's best action sports, uh, or snowboarders, and you're photographing them on the summit of North Star live right. on the internet was like five years ago or something yeah. like that. That was crazy. You've made so many, uh, you know, great, you've taught so many great lessons on Creative Live, and you're a mainstay in the hallway here. I mentioned that you were coming uh, today. Uh, and for for this and uh, you know, people start scurrying around and like cleaning the place. Like, is it gonna be good enough for Corey? We gotta make sure he's happy here, but just thank you so much for uh, saying saying kind things. And um, yeah, I have a ton of respect for you and your work. And this book is a huge, huge win. So many stories, not just about photography, but about life and about being a creator and, you just you, you have this really, it's like so consumable. It really is so relatable, and for that you have accomplished something that ninety nine point nine nine percent of books don't don't accomplish. So well, thanks, Chase. Shout I appreciate out. It. Uh, and then as a sort of closing here, I wanted to ask you, um, with everything that you've accomplished, you've hinted in this uh, in our conversation today about you know diversifying. You you talked about. Um, wanting to do things that where you weren't risking your life and still wanting to push the boundaries because that's part of your personality. You talked about expanding your footprint with the, you know, your production company. Um, what, what part of this are you doing for like growth in and of itself? I think so many people, they just get on a path and that's mm-hmm. what they do. But there's this insatiable sort of hunger for exploration and new horizons. And you just said, like, it's only an adventure if you truly don't know the outcome. And none of us know the outcome of our lives. But what, you know, what is next for you as you expand your footprint? Is it more books? Is it, you know, are you going to teach more? Because you basically have this, what I, one of the things, one of the many things I admire about you, you've, 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 mastered still photography, you've mastered storytelling, you've mastered you know making short films. you've mastered now clearly you've mastered capturing these stories in the form of a book. Mm. You're, you know your new company is doing well, 15 employees like you can go a hundred directions. How do you decide what to do? So many people want to follow you and they also want to take a cue because they're at a crossroads in their life. How in the hell what, what would Corey do? WWCD. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, I you know that, I can't take credit for that line. Um, you know, adventures where the outcome's uncertain. I had a mentor, one of the great climbing pioneers, Tom Frost. Tom was the co-founder of Patagonia with Yvonne Chouinard, and he's got a blurb on the back. Yeah, of your book. and 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 Tom is no longer with us. Tom mm-hmm. Tom has you know passed away late in his life, and but he was he was a genius. I mean, he was really a gifted photographer, but also a a pioneer and an entrepreneur. And that's always stuck with me, that line from Tom, that, you know, adventures where the outcome's uncertain. And I I guess that's something that I'm, where I'm the least creative and when I'm the least happy is when it feels like Groundhog Day. Yeah. You know, when I'm sort of, I've done it and I'm doing it again. It's, you know, repetition. You know, I've I've learned that about myself that I just need, I need fresh experiences Um, because I'm the best version of myself when they're fresh experiences. You know, if I'm getting pushed and I'm having to learn and I'm sort of you know I don't have the answer at the outset at the onset that's kind of the key for me and so you know what's next I I know what it won't be it won't be something that I've already done it will be you know trying to I I think I'm pretty excited about doing kind of more feature style doc work Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm also a realist in that I know I I can't drop everything else that I'm doing and focus focus
0: wholeheartedly but do you love that? pain? Because doing something for the first time is, I love doing things for the yeah. second and third times. Yeah. Fourth and fifth starts to get tired. First, super painful. It's like, yeah. it's like Tommy Caldwell breaking trail. Yeah, that's, that's good. It, that, <laughs> I, you know, I've never thought about it that way.
1: I, you know, I guess I, I think you're right. It's probably the sweet spot. It's like three or four times yeah. and the first time hurts. Yeah. This was an anomaly it was having a joy yeah the the joy i did a book 20 years ago and it was painful it was really painful so maybe (laughs) i i should own that that was really painful 20 years ago and i learned a ton so yeah i I think i do like the pain of the first experience because it's just it's so you're so alive in that experience the second time you're smarter the third time like you've kind of got it down and now it's about excellence Um, I, i always say that's why we get hired as professionals it's not I mean, I, I'm conscious of this all the time. There, I can point at 100 photographers and filmmakers that are way more gifted than me. I just see their raw talent oozing out. But that's only one part of why you get hired. You get hired also because we've made uh, all of the mistakes and they're hiring you to not make a mistake. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, yeah, I think the, the, the answer to the question is, you know, I'm, I, I, I just love doing stuff that's new. And I, I think you might have identified something. I should pay you for some therapy time. <laughs> that's right. I no. think I do like suffering a little yeah. bit. I think I really like the misery of the first experience. And once it's too comfortable, I need to find some new misery or new suffering. But
0: that's about testing yourself. That's yeah. like the passion of engaging all of your skills. And, you know, explorers they have that as a, you know, I think of a Mike Horn crossing the Arctic sure. in winter. Like, Bro. You got it good. You're sponsored by Mercedes. Right. Like it's, You could probably <laughs> just tool around the South China Sea as I have with you on your sailboat in the name of adventure and find a way to like get plastic out of the ocean and but 70 days in the right. dark below four, 40 below. Right. Really? Is that like you're choosing to do that to lose the tip of your nose and half <laughs> of your fingers and I mean the more we do this stuff the more you
1: you do what you love it's the more it takes to surprise you. I mean, I like being surprised. That's part of it. It's sort of, you know, just, I love the unknown and, 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 you know, when in, I'm just going to bring it back to photography for a second. I love when I go on a job and like something doesn't go right or as planned and you have to adapt. And it's sort of, that's like my favorite thing in the world is this sort of the spontaneity and the, you know, the adapting and it's, it's pressure, but it's like I, I you know performing under that pressure is really fun, and I think that's why kind of intuitively I'm always looking for that next thing is because it it forces you know it just forces me into the best version of me
0: yeah there's a uh, uh, oh something that's coming to mind as you say that as the the lens that I've learned to live through is it's not about avoiding mistakes if you can get comfortable like my wife will lose her mind if I'm going to speak in front of 10 or 15,000 people. Hmm. She's backstage with me like I've got noise cancelling headphones on. I'm literally dancing yeah. back there, you know, and bobbing and weaving and, and she's pasty white hmm. staring at the backside of that curtain just going like, oh my gosh. And there's a belief and I don't always know, I'm nervous, but it's the belief that you can, it's not about avoiding mistakes, it's about recovering from errors. Right. And that, like, what can you rely on in a previous experience Mm. where when this happened, you did this and the, you know, whether it's the bear or the climbing incident or managing the client, or I wonder if that resonates with you at all. Like this ability to trust yourself I feel like that's that the, the, a
1: version of that has yeah. come out of this book tour. I've always enjoyed sharing and teaching. It's why I've been involved with Creative Live, and I, you know, the, in a book tour, you have good book tour stops and you have bad book tour stops. <laughs> and maybe the greatest gift of this book tour was like the bad book tour stop, and I because it it was really uncomfortable. It was really uncomfortable, and I bombed, and I got nervous, and I. And that's unlike me. Like, I'm comfortable speaking. And, but I walked away from, it was in Boulder, Colorado. It was like the publisher warned me. They said, don't commit to doing bookstores. That was their number. They said, bookstores are like, they're just tough. Like, bookstores yeah. are tough. And I, but I was like dead set on let's fill this one day in the middle of the calendar because I was already traveling. And I knew as soon as I walked into this bookstore, you know, that everyone's heart was in the right place. But I walked in and I realized, you know, they want, an author, there was a wooden chair, like a rocking chair, the classic wooden oh chair. My God. And it was up on the <laughs> stage and I said, oh, but I'm gonna show pictures, like I'm gonna do a talk to pictures. And they said, oh no problem, we have a screen. And out came a screen that was like twice the size of this table, you know, sort of. <laughs> and
0: I just instantly, and then. This the, is like an episode of The Office so oh, oh, And and, right the, here.
1: and the projector wasn't working and, you know, but, but 150 people showed up or 100 people and I, and i got so nervous that i'm like this is just it's a recipe for failure right now like it's th- these folks want me to sit in a chair and read you know s- chapters out of my book with a pipe in my mouth <laughs> and i'm ready to stand up and show slides and entertain people and i and i you know i was i was telling my stories it was still early in the book tour and i was still kind of getting my story down and and then partway through the talk the woman in the back is saying like wrap it up and i'm thinking I, like, I, I'm, just what? Getting like started. Yeah, I'm just getting started right yeah <laughs> didn't you get the memo this is gonna be an hour and i <laughs> and i wrapped it up really and i remember just you know you, i'm just sweating and feeling awkward but the great lesson was i realized no i just own it like yeah. i just moving forward that was like the low point <laughs> but the lesson was no i know what i'm talking about it doesn't yeah. matter how big the screen is I don't even need the pictures. I can stand there and tell yeah. stories. That's, yeah. that's, it's like, it's me and the people sitting in this audience and and it's, I'm here to tell stories. They're here to listen to stories. The other thing I learned is it helps if everyone has alcohol, you know. Then <laughs> books, the bookstore didn't have alcohol and I realized, I think Mistake. the next night, yeah, it might have been Seattle REI like the next night and and that was and that was
0: like the opposite. It was like a packed venue and people were psyched. I way, remember right? I was so bummed I was out of town for it. I, I was I knew you were gonna crush it.
1: And it was but it, and it, I you know it was just that lesson in you've but but you've got to fail occasionally. Yeah. Like you've got to yeah. kind of bomb it and and I you know and I don't know in the eyes of the folks sitting in that audience it probably wasn't a bomb. It was just sort of lackluster what I did up there. But that you know that's that's kind of why I'm you I crave people crave doing new things is you kind of want to get as close to that edge so that occasionally <laughs> you like bomb and
0: then keeps you straight yeah
1: right? keep, and and then you have that experience right it's like okay that won't happen that won't happen again like that's I was just sitting on a plane chase you'll appreciate this I was flying home to Reno and flying into Reno usually I have like one connection from L.A. or you know San Francisco and the guy sitting next to me was—he um, was like a works for one of these huge event planning companies where you know when they want to get together a hundred CEOs, they're the company that builds out these events and you know they put them and they and you know we got to talking in the last twenty minutes of the flight and I said you know so you must bring in pretty amazing presenters we got on the like. You know presenter motivational speaker talk and and they're hiring the biggest players in the world you know and he's explaining you know seinfeld and we just bring everybody in and he said you know obama's now on the market like you can get obama like he's freshly on the market and i asked because i, I think i'd you know still this boulder event was in my head of bombing and i said so you know these guys get paid huge money and he shared the numbers and you know it's for 40 minutes and they fly in and like do their shtick and get back in the plane and fly back out and i said do these guys ever bomb and he said no he said no at this level you don't bomb but and then and it hit me all at once it's because they already did 20 years ago right somewhere along the line you know it's the same way you talk about photography it takes yeah. a lot to surprise you you've been there yeah. you've done that you know that's how it works for seinfeld like he's stood on enough stages that's you know obama did it for you know his presidency and it was just it was a good lesson for me to hear this guy say no at that level you don't you don't bomb. It's always might be better one night, yeah. but but you don't bomb at that level. And it's kind of you know that's the goal in a craft like photography or filmmaking. You don't you don't bomb at a certain level. It's just sometimes you're good and sometimes you're great. You're always
0: striving for great. Well, thank you so much for being great on the show tonight, and uh, so grateful that you made the journey. We always love you having you here on uh, on the show and on the Creative Life stage anywhere. Always welcome, 100%. No questions asked. You get the itch. We're happy to, to, to uh, collaborate. And um, congratulations on the book for those, again, stories behind the images. Corey Rich, uh, it's about photography, but it's about so much more. Um, what's the best, any coordinates you want to steer people towards?
1: You know, the easiest is just go to Amazon. Yeah.
0: And we also have a
1: website, storiesbehindtheimages.com. And um, I'm happy to sign any books in the lead up to the holidays. So if you want it signed, go to storiesbindtheimages.com. If
0: you just want it to get to your house, go to (laughs) amazon.com. You're not Amazon, no? (laughs) You know, no. Appreciate (laughs) you being on the show, but thanks so much. And uh, look forward to the next one already. Appreciate you. Thanks, Chase. All right, that about wraps it up. But uh, hey, before you bounce, two quick things. I try and respond as much as possible. So let's have a conversation that transcends me just being in your ears here. Let's try and do it somewhere out there on the internet land. That's thing one. Thing two, again, I'm not quite sure what channels you pay attention to me and my work. But please go check out I'm at Chase Jarvis or slash Chase Jarvis or whatever on all the platforms. And it's really important to me. Also, if you wouldn't mind checking out Creative Live, it's something that not only myself, but 120 other committed, hardcore, badass people come to work every day uh, to build the place where creators and entrepreneurs learn. So check that out. They're just slash Creative Live or at Creative Live all over out there on the Internet. All right, until again, uh, probably tomorrow, I hope I'll hear you. I'll be in your ears maybe tomorrow, and I'll look for your comments on the internets. Bye.